When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves are two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms And praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. So there's a glorious moment every day, every single day upon every inch of the vast minutiae of our planet, when the sun quietly emerges above the visible horizon, unleashing a spectacle that is loud with color. And to all who see it, this daily miracle offers a wonder that outranks any of the numbered wonders of our world. But on any given day, numerous eyes miss out on this wonder. Some are blocked by the thick undulations of clouds still pulled high upon the earth like blankets on a frigid morning. Others are closed shut by those who have swiped or pressed, depending on your generation, frantically the snooze button. Oh, the snooze button. That serpentine tempter that seduces us with the sweet-tasting fruit of extra sleep only to curse us with bitter restlessness served in seven, nine, or eleven-minute portions. Other eyes are, in fact, open, but they're lingering over phone screens or busily darting over the byproducts of that morning's preparations, the cereal bowls with that remnant of cold milk and the lonely, soggy Cheerios floating on top the leftover crumbs on the, of sandwich bread dusting the cutting board next to the knife streaked with peanut butter. Or, of course, the jumbled-up sheets that are the emblem of all who are not yet ready to face the day. All the while, 
the sun also rises. And amid all those wandering or covered eyes, there are some eyes who behold its light. Some have awakened early in service of biological needs of dog or self, or to get in that run that must be run, or to beat that morning's traffic. But there are the select few who see the glorious rising of the sun because they have sought that out. They have diligently and expectantly positioned themselves on sandy shores with coffee mugs in hand to behold that orange glow rising over the wavy waters. Or they have taken hold of walking sticks to steady their hike up the mountain's peak upon which they will behold a -a once-in-a-lifetime view of the cosmos' daily gift. Others have simply just stepped outside of their home or their apartment and taken a few deep breaths to enjoy those priceless colors that nature so freely bestows on all of us. Now, of all the eyes who have it, Of all who have this light, these are the seeking, expectant eyes of Simeon. Of Simeon. Simeon, who in our text says, sought out the light, and upon encountering that light, exclaimed, My eyes have seen your salvation, a light of revelation to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. His eyes are the ones that we are going to celebrate today in this sermon, along with all of those who share Simeon's way of seeing, those whose spirits hum the melody, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Who is this Simeon? We can first start off by saying there's much we don't know about him. We don't know his age though we may reasonably assume that he's on the older side of life, free perhaps from the responsibilities of tending to a young family or the demands of a job that would keep him from lingering and waiting in the temple courtyard. We don't know what Simeon looks like, though some of you may know there is a drawing of him downstairs in the hallway as you go into Fellowship Hall from the elevator entrance. So uh, kids, take your bells And have a little scavenger hunt. First one to find Simeon wins a prize of my hooray. It's great. It's going to be a good... What's that? Seven swans swans a swaying. That's what you get, right. So we don't know what his age is. We don't know what he looked like. But there is much that we do know about Simeon, at least from today's text. Luke tells us first that he was righteous. This is the same word that Luke uses to describe the mother and father of John the Baptist. And it's a word that means that Simeon was not an outsider to his faith as one who kept the commandments of his religious tradition. He, as Jacob and others here would say, is the product of his Jewish formation. And he was a great supporter of that formation in others. The second thing we hear about this Simeon is that he was devout, devout. And forgive me for getting all Greek squad on you, but 
the literal translation of this word devout is so much better than what our English gives us today. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word devout, I picture a person always bent over in prayer, always turning over the pages of his well-worn Bible, whose passages that he manages to work into every conversation. Ah, oh, would you like some milk with your sandwich today? Oh, yes, dear, because as it says in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 1, I fed you with milk, not solid food. According to this image, devout is a man who never forgets to pray before a meal, even at a restaurant. This is a man who never curses, never laughs at a joke that you shouldn't say around children, never worries whether his team he bet on will cover the spread. This is a devout man who knows all the hymns by heart and never went through a Led Zeppelin phase in high school. <laughs> May God bless these kinds of devoted people. For the Lord knows the world needs them. And maybe this is exactly the kind of devotion that Simeon lived. But I'd like to think, or at least selfishly hope, that devotion means more than all of this. And this is why I love the original image painted in the Greek and why I love even more the Simeon it describes because the Greek word for devout here is eulabes. And it means to, quote, take strong hold of that which is good. Being devout means taking strong hold of that which is good. Here, devotion means passionately pursuing goodness in all of its forms. And upon encountering it, holding it fast, reveling in it, reveling in it, excuse me, soaking in it as like a sunrise. And this is what Simeon does. This is who he is as a devout person, a man whose devotion transcends the shoulds and should nots of the religious tradition that he knows like the back of his hand. His manner of devotion leads him to seek out goodness, to, quote, look forward to the comfort, to the consolation of his people whom he loved. The poet, Lord Byron, wrote of his ancestral home, quote, the mansion's self was vast and venerable, at least of those whose eyes were in their heart. Simeon looked forward to his people's comfort with the eyes of his heart. And this is what propelled him to take walking sticks to ascend the Temple Mount and to set up his chair there and look and see <clears throat> and see. And in the Christ child, he found what he was looking for. Better yet, he found the one in whom he was looking. So all this we know about Simeon. But the most important thing we are told by Luke is that he was a man profoundly moved by the ministrations of the Holy Spirit. Luke, who emphasizes the Holy Spirit more than any of the other Gospels, tells us how the Holy Spirit, which would later burn in the fires of Pentecost, rested upon Simeon. How the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not leave earth on life, 
leave life on earth before he encountered the heaven-sent Messiah of his people. This Holy Spirit guided Simeon into the temple so that he could see Christ and so he could help others see him too. In Simeon and in the life he lived in the Spirit, we see this delightful interplay between human action and divine direction where it's hard for us to pinpoint where one ends and one begins. I've been reading some about Leonardo da Vinci lately, and he's known for a a technique in painting called sfumato. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Some say sfumato, some some say sfumato. I'll go with sfumato. In any event, sfumato is the art of blurred edges, where there is no sharp delineation between one object and another. And paradoxically, this ghostly haziness brings a realism and a clarity, a clarity to the painting. In Simeon, we see the sfumato of life in the Holy Spirit where the line between divine agency and human action is blurred, one blending in with the other, creating a kind of haziness that helps us see our life with God more clearly. Simeon saw with sfumato eyes, as one able to see in the frail flesh of an infant the contours of God's eternal grandeur. And this is why I am such a fan of Simeon, and those like him, those who have been formed by their Christian and religious tradition to see, as Simeon did, as from the heart, those who in their wider frame of devotion pursue goodness in all its forms, so as to grab hold of it and delight in it for the sake of all of God's people. Simeon is one of those who, in the Holy Spirit, the Life is rich. The Holy Spirit is so evidently at work that we can see in those people that Christ is Lord and to behold that Christ in others. I'm a pastor because of people like Simeon, people upon whom the Spirit has clearly rested and who have come into the temple of my life to welcome and encourage my gifts of faith. And I bet that you are part of the church and this church in particular because of the Simeons here and those who have come before you, who embraced you, who see and honor in you the Christ that resides in you. The invitation for all of us is to follow in Simeon's footsteps by following his gaze, to choose Team Simeon instead of Team Snooze. What does that mean exactly? Well, it probably looks different for each of us. And here I will quote 1 Corinthians to say that there are a variety of gifts, but it is the same spirit who activates them in each of us. I'm not saying that we have to eradicate the snooze button from our lives, but yeah, Maybe let's push it a little less this year. 
I'm not saying that we should get up every day in order to see the sunrise. But from time to time, maybe we can, maybe we should. But what I am suggesting is that we may be more purposeful, more intentional about looking for God's goodness everywhere, seeking signs of comfort and consolation and holding tightly to them, delighting in them, despite all of the worry, concern, or grief that have their hold on us. I know we are all harboring some fear about the year that awaits us. But let us also harbor great expectations. The Spirit is moving, resting on you and on me, guiding our steps towards emanations of that Christ light, helping us to see the blurred edges between all that is human and heavenly. Let us anticipate with simeonic eagerness all that will unfold here in this church as we embark on a new chapter in our life together and pursue the dreams and visions of our capital campaign. Let us anticipate with simeonic devotion what the Spirit has for us to see. Now for sure, not all was rosy and bright for Simeon. His words in this text carried with them the thorny clouds also of warning. Simeon told Mary that her child would be destined destined to be the rising and the falling of many, that his would be a sign that would be opposed. This is Simeon's way of saying that there will be many who miss out. Those for whom clouds will shroud the light. Those who just sleep in when there's a sunrise just outside their door. Because they assume that that sunrise will be there again for them the next morning. And it will be there for some, but not all. This brings me back to da Vinci. In uh, his recent biography, Walter Isaacson celebrates the way da Vinci filled his journals with explorations and imaginations, pages and pages of anatomical sketches, intricate studies about the flow of water over and around objects, paragraphs upon paragraphs about whatever piqued da Vinci's curiosity, down to the innate characteristics of the tongue of a woodpecker or the best way to defend a fort. But on the last page of writing that we have of da Vinci's journals, upon which he was trying to determine how to keep the area of a right triangle, triangle, how to keep the area of a right triangle constant while varying the length of its two legs. You know, the things that keep you up at night. Da Vinci abruptly stops and just writes, etc. Whatever etc. sounds like in Italian, but etc. Followed by a line that explains why he's putting down his pen. Because, he says, the soup is getting cold. As far as we can tell, 
Da Vinci never returned to that journal. His eyes, always so wide open to his world, one day were closed shut. So let this encourage us. While the soup is still hot in our bowls, to live the devotion of Simeon, to behold the beautiful rising of God's Son while we are able to see it, so that too we may sing, My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Amen.